everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the App Advice Weekly Podcast that is all about WWDC 2018. Apple introduced new versions of iOS, watchOS, tvOS, and macOS, and we're here to discuss it all. So how are you doing today, Brett? I'm doing pretty good. It was a long event, a little over two two hours, and uh, there was a lot of content there to, for us to, to decipher and talk about. Yeah, it really was. And so... We're just going to kind of follow the order that Apple did. And so that means iOS 12 is the big portion of the event and the starting point. And really, it's kind of as we thought. The first main topic of iOS 12 is that Apple is just going to focus on really improving the performance of the operating system of devices and emphasis on making older devices run as well as they possibly can. Right, yeah, and they had some pretty impressive numbers, although I assume those as much as 40% increases is only in very certain situations. They're not going to make that dramatic of a change that this thing is going to be improved across the board on everything. They they had very specific instances they were talking about. Yeah, and it's going to be more interesting, I think, Will you notice the performance improvements on the iPhone X? Because I can't say that I've ever had a situation where the device is slow or even noticeably hesitant to anything that I do. Yeah, no, I haven't noticed it on my on my 10, but I have noticed my iPad Pro getting slower and slower and slower. So I'm really hoping that this does kind of boost the performance of that device just because it seems to be getting on in age and... I don't even know why it's slowing down. I don't know if it's a lack of space or, or what's going on, but hopefully this will actually improve, make some improvements there. Yeah, so really Apple's emphasizing kind of improving under heavy load where they have this new setup where the processing power is there instantaneously. Instead of a ramp up over time, it's all the processing power is there at the start, and then it quickly decelerates the processor so that way it optimizes battery life. And like you said, they were testing the iPhone 6 Plus, and they're talking 50% faster to have the keyboard come up or 70% faster to slide over the camera from the lock screen. And if they can pull that off on iPhone 6, across the board, no matter what iPhone or iPad that you have should really do well, especially because every device that's compatible with iOS 11 is going to be compatible with iOS 12. Right, right. And well, see, this is where I'm curious to see. Is it that the 6, the processor, th- that specific processor, they were able to make these dramatic improvements, but as the processor gets faster and we get newer devices, are you going to see less of a boost on those devices than you would in these older devices? Or did they fine-tune things for the older devices to really kind of make them last a little bit longer or have people complain? You think they'd want to make them more obsolete so that people are forced to upgrade, but then again, they don't want to alienate all their customers. So I'm curious to see how this kind of increase ranges over the entire product line once it's out there and people start to report actual performance increase numbers. Also, it makes you wonder how it... Uh, counteracts that battery optimization they have on older devices where that purposely slows down processing power. True, true. Yeah, they almost seem like they're kind of at odds with one another, but I guess we'll we'll find out. Yep, and so that's kind of the performance updates, but there were actual new features included in iOS 12. None are groundbreaking revolutionary, but there's some subtle enhancements. One is just a focus on augmented reality. There's this new file format, USDZ, which is Universal Scene Designation, which is going to be able to kind of have that 3D augmented reality portions embedded into web pages and different messages and emails and just subtle kind of popping pieces in regular everyday items. Right. They they made a big point of saying that they teamed up with Adobe on this and it's a standard format that people be able to do and... You can just embed it anywhere, pretty much on a web page, in an app, anything, and it allows the user to just quickly click on this thing and it instantly becomes this AR type object that they can interact with in beautiful 3D. So, I mean, the demos look kind of nice, but 
whether or not it's going to be a lot of work for individuals to actually use this. I could see companies or people with real like modeling skills be able to do this, but I don't know. I think it's going to be one of these things that I think this is going to be the feature that they touted. Like this is going to be the next big thing. And we're going to see almost nothing done with this over the next year that a couple of companies that they teamed up with are going to have it, but it's really not going to spread as much as they think it's going to. Yeah, I definitely can see that. And so kind of building on that AR idea is that there's going to be AR kit too, which is going to have improved face tracking, realistic rendering, 3D object detection, persistent experiences, and then shared experiences. Shared experiences was the big one because they have a demo app already available for developers to download, which is kind of this 3D tower collapse game. But then Lego also came on stage to demo uh, actual interactive building system where each player can interact with the item together. And so if I interact, you'll get to see those changes and then you have a different perspective. So if I'm standing off to the left looking at this Lego building and the other person standing off to the right, it's a different perspective and experience, but you're all building on that same Lego building. Right, yeah, it actually kind of, with the fall of LEGO Dimensions and the ending of that, I was kind of really excited about that demo that they gave you, because it's almost like it turns, I'm sure it's not going to be every kit, but certain kits, if you buy these LEGO sets, you'll be able to interact with them in ways you normally wouldn't be able to. So basically, you show it into the screen, and you can drag characters in, and then you can even go inside of, like, say it's a building, go inside the building and interact with other characters within the building, move a character around and have them do, go on little missions within the 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 LEGO set that you happen to have. And I thought it was a really fun way, because those LEGO games are are always super popular and I know my girls love them I like to play them and to have then also have this real world piece that you have that your kids probably want anyways and then have a digital game component that kind of goes for free with it that that'd be really cool I'm assuming it's going to be a free thing that you download this app and they're basically trying to get you to still buy the physical lego bricks and by buying these sets you unlock the free digital content but who knows they might have you pay for this but I thought it was a a neat demo whether it really works like that in real life we'll have to see but uh it looked fun yeah and we'll see if there's greater adoption with ARKit 2 to build these shared experiences. Because a lot of augmented reality games that are currently on the App Store, they're either updates to existing app or they're really focused on the idea of AR. It's not like, let's create a brand new game idea with augmented reality. It's like, here's a quick gimmick or here's let's make an endless runner that's now augmented reality. You know, it's just kind of established preconceived notions. Right, and I know that, like, um, Sorrow and uh, whatever their other rolling game is, uh, those games, those digital board games, they created AR versions of them, but you're playing on a single device, and everyone's using it all at the same time on a same device. It would be really cool if you could actually sit across from the other player and not actually have to have this board game, but you both see the board and you can both interact with the board from your own device. So I, I could see that could definitely be a a popular application for this multiplayer. And I thought you they said on the Lego demo you could have up to four players going at the same time. So if they even can expand that even more, then you could have six or, but to start with four would be really cool for like a, a board game application like that. And then augmented reality was kind of extended with that new measure app where it's based on augmented reality, but you can point your device at anything you want to measure. You tap on an endpoint, you then move your device along, you follow it along in the camera, then you tap on the other endpoint and it tells you how long that distance was, you can then do it for another side and cre calculate the area. You do it for the then, you know, length, width, and you can then do the volume and it calculates it all automatically. Right, yeah. All I could think of when I saw this is a lot of developers are going to be really upset right now <laughs> because there's a bunch of these digital ruler, like augmented reality ruler apps out there. And now for Apple to bake it in, there goes a bunch of developers' revenues for that had been first to market with this, but now Apple decided to put it right in the iOS. So 
they're out of luck. Yep. And so that was the augmented reality portion. And then Apple actually gave some attention to Siri. And this is an actually really interesting decision by Apple because previously they've made Siri kind of your automated assistant. And so now with iOS 12, they're making it your personal assistant where you can personalize it with this new shortcut system. And so shortcuts, it's going to be its own standalone app. And you can see that Apple used their acquisition of the app workflow. It's now going to be available built right into iOS 12. So you can manually set up these systems where you put a phrase like I lost my keys. And then you can connect it to the tile app where the tile app will then buzz your tile attached to your keys just by saying I lost my keys. You say I need to relax and you bring up a special meditation app. Or you can look up your travel plans and it ties into the Yelp app or the Kayak app. So you get to set the phrase and then you get to set what app and what task it's going to do all through the Shortcuts app. Right, yeah. This reminds me a lot of If This Then That and have like these kind of automated things for Siri to do. And it this I, I was super excited for this because not only do you get these cool shortcut kind of setup, but it finally shows that Apple might be willing to not really tie you into all of their apps when you customize things and you get to choose what apps you want to launch. You get to choose those steps. You're not tied to Apple determining all this for you, but now you really they're finally letting the user customize without being forced to use stock apps or or their things. So finally, I, I think this is a right step for Apple, and I hope we see more of this. The one thing I was disappointed during this section is I was really hoping someone would say Alexa by accident, but it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, they, they were pretty on point. <laughs> and <laughs> you can also build more complex ones. Like they had one where it said you could say heading home. And then you could tie that to multiple auto or home automation devices, whether it's your Nest thermostat or your lights or whatever the case may be, opening the shutters. So you can really build some complex tasks in the shortcuts app, it looks like. Yeah, yeah. It definitely looks like you could chain a whole bunch of things together, interact with multiple devices, multiple apps, and really kind of automate tasks that would otherwise have you jumping back and forth amongst various apps to get all the information you need or trigger all the things you need to trigger and just do it with one single phrase, which was great. Yep. So hopefully I don't use Siri that much, but maybe I will if I can personalize specific phrases tied to specific tasks. Yeah, I too. I don't use Siri like at all, but the, especially where it also showed you that these things would, it would be suggested by Siri. We wouldn't even necessarily have to talk to the device. Yeah. It'll pop up a little notification, and you can press the button that would launch that particular shortcut you had created because it knows these are the type of things you want to do. So that's even better where you didn't even have to talk, and it already kind of knows these things you want to do. Yeah, it builds out that whole Siri app suggestions widgets from your notification center. Yep. And so then Apple turned their attention to stock apps, their actual own native apps. And so they've updated Apple News, stocks, and voice memos to now come to the iPad with their own specific iPad design. And then with stocks, it's going to have Apple News business stories with the stocks you follow built right in. And the Apple News app is going to have a new sidebar so you can quickly jump between different sections and it's just going to enhance and kind of highlight the human curated portions of the Apple News segment. And then Voice Memos is going to have your recordings finally connected to iCloud. Yeah, I mean, all of this was eh, <laughs> ho-hum. There was way too much clapping for this stuff for the the um, gravitas of the, the changes. So... I don't know. It, it, I, it was a little bit of way too excitement from the audience for this. And then iBooks is now Apple Books. We'll drop that. Holy I. cow. <laughs> yeah, that was like probably the biggest announcement of the whole event. <laughs> <laughs> and then they redesigned the iBooks or the Apple Books store to be more like the App Store from iOS 11, which you'll see as a trend during this episode. Yep. <laughs> 
And then the Photos app also got some attention. So now they're kind of trying to compete with Google Photos in terms of their search recognition. So it's going to try to improve, you know, specific search phrases to find particular photos. And then they're going to have new shared search suggestions where you might send photos to your friends from a concert you went to. And then it will suggest, oh, send your photos of the concert. So that way, both of you can have the full collection of photos from each other. Yeah, I thought that was really nice because that way... uh you're not going to miss out on photos. You always forget to send photos to people and this will help you find those photos and then also remind them to, to send them as well. The search will be great because I can't tell you the number of times I've tried to scroll through all of my photos, trying to find a particular photo where if I could use certain search terms to really narrow those photos down and find the exact photo I want, it'll be much, much quicker. One of the other things that they did also show was almost kind of like the Facebook on this day, like to find a previous post for on Facebook. But on here, it's going to show you maybe like a photo you took on this exact day. And it's like maybe three years ago to remind you of this. Oh, remember this? And maybe you want to share it out or post it to your social networks. And it just another one of these things to kind of get you looking back into the old photos and bring up these memories that you might have been excited to see again. Yep. And so that's kind of the native apps, though they do, or Apple did extend that with the communication tools. So first off, Animoji is getting an update. First off, there's four new characters with Ghost, Koala, Tiger, and T-Rex. And then all the Animojis are going to support tongue support. So you can have your T-Rex sticking out his tongue, just face tracking on your face. But kind of the biggest new one is Memoji, which lets you customize and create kind of your own digital avatar that can be used instead of one of these little animated animals. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it looked fun. It looked cute. And uh, to be able to design yourself and have it animate with your face is fun. So that way you have like a cartoony version of yourself. Uh, the demo went on a little long for that one, but otherwise it was a, it's a, a fun addition. Yeah, and then they're going to add different fun effects in the spirit of Snapchat and Insta stories so you can add that all in to your Memoji or any of the different Animojis. Right, right, yep. And then FaceTime is getting an update so now there's going to be group FaceTime that supports up to 32 people simultaneously and they've had, they've implemented it with this kind of automatic intelligent feature where who's ever talking is going to become bigger on the screen and then the people who aren't speaking go smaller into the background. Right, uh, but you can also drag people forward if you want. They said that you could manually adjust like how it is. Otherwise, I got to imagine if you have a bunch of people talking all at the same time, I've noticed it when I go on to like a, a voice group like a WebEx and you see that it keeps on highlighting who's talking. This would be kind of annoying if it just constantly is switching the pictures over and over again. So it sounds like you will have control over that. So you don't necessarily have to have that happening where it'd be super distracting. But uh, it, it's nice that you can have up to 32 people. I can never foresee myself having a 32-person <laughs> FaceTime call, but it would be nice to have. I know my daughter just the other day w wanted to FaceTime with two different people to work on a school project, and she ended up taking two separate devices and calling one on one device, calling one on the other device, and kind of holding the devices near each other so everyone could see everyone. So uh, I guess that's one way to do it now, but... This will obviously be much easier and cleaner. Yeah, it took a while, but you got to compete with Skype and WebEx and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, I mean, well, that's Apple's MO. They they take their time on things, and hopefully they do it nice and cleanly when they finally get around to it. There'll be one thing we'll mention later that it took them probably about 10 years to get to it, but it's finally there. Yeah, and then also you can add all those different photo effects and memojis and animojis to your window if you want to have a goofy FaceTime call. Right, and yeah, you can use those Animojis in the, the FaceTime uh, thing, or you can also uh, have those stickers, and they almost kind of look like 
like AR almost where they kind of stuck with you and they would kind of go off the screen like they were static with your character because they put the little dog sticker up on her shoulder and it kind of stayed there but went off the screen when her shoulder went off the screen. So I thought that was kind of interesting how they that worked. Yep, so that's communication. That's really kind of the major existing technology updates. And so then Apple spent quite a large portion in attempt to combat phone addiction. And there's a bunch of different features going on with this. The first is that at night now, if you put on Do Not Disturb, you're not going to have a bunch of notifications if you look at your phone at 3 in the morning. It's just a black screen that shows you're on Do Not Disturb, so you don't have to kind of get woke up or stressed out about anything in the middle of the night if you just want to check the clock. And then on an individual app basis, you can now choose to deliver quietly. So instead of apps going to the lock screen, it can go straight to Control Center, and then you also have set designations for do not disturb. So you can set it for an hour or just do not disturb till this evening or once I leave this specific location or say I have an event set for two hours, just don't disturb me during that event. So it's all kinds of little adjustments. And then they have a bigger adjustment in the form of a new app called Reports, which we talked about in App Usage App a couple months ago. And essentially Apple's just made their own version where it shows you your phone usage throughout the day so there's these nice little bar charts which show you how many times you picked up your device how much time you used it and then what specific apps you used and then they don't just give you that information you then can act on it so say you're using instagram a whole bunch well now you can set it so i only want to use instagram for an hour and so as you're using it during the next day if it goes on and you're like, you've used it for 55 minutes, you'll get a little notification. You only have five minutes left to use Instagram for the day. And then once you reach that allotment, there's now a gray screen whenever you open Instagram saying you've used it for your max for the day. You can just press this little button that says ignore time limit and keep blasting through Instagram, but it kind of defeats the purpose of, you know, setting up the whole time check and all that stuff. But all the pieces are in place for you to actively try to use your phone less. Just like when we talked about that third-party app, it takes the user to want to do it, but Apple's given the utilities. And then there's a whole another portion for parents and kids, which I'll let you talk about because you have kids. Yes, uh, this was like I cheered when they they mentioned screen time. So screen time is what lets you see those breakdowns of what your kids are doing. You can set on a per app basis, like you were talking about, how much time per day they can spend on these apps. And if they have multiple devices, it carries over, say they have they play, watch a little YouTube on their phone, and then they switch over to an iPad and watch on that. That time is cumulative. So it knows that you spent the time on this device and this device, as long as it's the same, I assume iCloud user logged into both, it'll keep a record of that and then track those time and lock them out on both devices as soon as they hit those limits. So this is something I've been hoping for for a long time. We use another third-party hardware device, kind of limit YouTube time and certain things, but you can't stop every app because they don't. maybe they don't use the network or doesn't necessarily know about these apps the way iOS locks everything down. So finally, Apple is giving parents a way to lock kids out of particular apps that they don't want them spending all this time in and the kid will get warnings they'll know how much they have a time limit you can adjust the time limit if you need to but finally this has been like so long coming for this i i told my daughters about it they were less than thrilled they they i think they were kind of on the verge of tears but uh, then they said i don't want ios 12 when that comes but I am definitely putting iOS 12 on, and this is finally going to be able to help us limit certain things. Because we don't necessarily know, or even even if we don't limit it, at least we know what apps they're using a ton on those devices. I mean, we know that they're using YouTube or Musical.ly for my older daughter, and we limit those. But we have no idea, really, how much time they're spending on all these other apps. And this is going to be a great way, because parents can monitor it right from a, a parent device. It works with the family share setup so that you already have this kind of infrastructure set up so you know what are kid devices, what are parent devices, and then it's just a matter of the parents being able to kind of monitor what their kids are doing on these devices. Yeah, it sends the reports from the kids' devices to the parents' devices automatically. And then in case you're wondering, kids don't have that tap to ignore 
button on their device. It's just that's for your own device. So they, if you put that limit on there, there's nothing they can do. Right. I, I'm assuming parents can, because it said you can extend it. So I'm assuming parents have the option of like a reward for the kid. Like, oh, you were good. You did your homework already. I'm going to give you like 45 extra minutes of time on Minecraft or whatever it happens to be. Or nowadays with these kids, it's probably Fortnite. Like, here you go. Here's another hour of Fortnite. But uh, it's, it's, uh, this is like one of the best features that came out of out of this whole iOS 12 announcement. It, as a parent, this is definitely one of the best features. For, as far as just jumping back to the do not disturb, I really like that ability to have those time-based let's enable it again. Because there's so many times where you might turn it on and then you completely forget to turn it back off. And now where you can just say you're going into a movie and you don't want to be disturbed in, in the movie. Set it for three hours and that way you cover yourself with the, the 30 minutes of trailers. And then when you come out, everything's back on and you don't even have to worry about remembering to switch it on. You're not the annoying person whose phone is beeping or buzzing or ringing during the movie. And it's super simple. You don't even have to remember to turn it back on. Yeah, not. Re yeah, I always do that. And then you miss other stuff later in the day because you never turn do not disturb off. Right. Yeah, I tend to do it with my watch because all my notifications go to my watch, and that's what buzzes instead of my phone. But I'll like I do it for our, when we're recording our podcast. I turn everything off, and then next day i'm like why is nothing buzzing i'm not getting any notifications then i realize i'm still in sleep mode i'm like oh no so this will be nice to not really have to you don't have to remember yeah just this whole section might have been the best part of ios 12 beyond the performance enhancements and those are kind of a wait and see once we get to september after they beta test over the summer and so i know that parents are excited but i gotta imagine kids It'll be really interesting because, you know, there's already potential conflict on, you know, tracking my phone or, you know, tracking your kid's phone. So actually limiting their device usage is going to be really interesting in different households. Yes. Yeah. I, I feel in younger kids, you'll be able to get away with it. Older kids, there could be. <laughs> I don't know. I'm curious to see if someone hacks this almost immediately to find a way around it because where there's a will, there's a way. Like I've even found like my daughter's going into like Safari to watch YouTube to try to get around <laughs> certain things. So, and they're, they're only eight and 10, eight and 11. So, uh, it's, uh, we'll see. I, I'm curious to see if, uh, kids are able to figure out a way. Yep. And then those whole news stories of kids, shoot parents over not being able to play some <laughs> oh, game no. or something. Okay, they could play as much as they want. Well, it's probably kids will shoot parents over Fortnite. Like, they want to play more Fortnite. Yep. But who knows? So many terrible stories. And so <laughs> this this is just, you know, do not disturb in the car. This kind of builds upon that idea to just, you know, change it and dictate it for whatever scenario in your life. Yep. And so that was pretty much iOS 12. Again, it's not feature-rich. Actually, there were two other things I just wanted to quickly mention that were in there. So they had the ability to do the group notifications. That was a oh, big one yeah. for me. Yep. So what they now, so normally on your phone right now, if you get like a whole bunch of texts all right in a row from someone, you're seeing notification after notification after notification blocking up your screen. You have to scroll through all these. Now Apple's going to be able to group all those like notifications together. You'll be able to dismiss them as a group. You'll be able to just pop into that grouping and read through them. And it's not going to be this whole bogged down, super long, scrollable list of notifications. And if something, you, like there's an app that you're not using that often, it'll it'll say, hey, maybe you don't want to, no longer want to get notifications from this. And you'll be able to do that right from the notification. So you can decide, hey, I, I'm like, I'm, I don't really need to know what this app's doing anymore. You don't have to go into settings, notifications, scroll and find that app, find out if notifications is turned on, and then turn it off. You'll be able to do it right from the notification itself saying, yeah, I'm sick of these notifications. I don't want to see them. So they really kind of, it's just a small tweak, but it's a, a much needed tweak that I think is going to make a big difference. Yeah. And so that builds on the whole notification ideas, especially apps that you forget or you just don't, no longer use and you don't 
now you can quickly and easily stop being getting notifications from it. Maybe even delete the app. Yes. Uh, yeah. I wish they would let you delete the app right from notification. Maybe that's the next step. Yeah. Uh, and then the only other one I just wanted to mention, not because I use it, but because it goes back to a point I, I previously made CarPlay. They've now added the ability to support for third party navigation apps. So finally, you are not stuck with using Apple Maps. If you want to use Waze, you can use Waze to navigate and still use the whole CarPlay interface, which I don't currently have a vehicle that supports CarPlay, but I definitely do not want to use Apple Maps. I use Waze. It gives me all of that crowdsourced. There's a cop up ahead. So that's what I want. And finally, Apple is loosening the, the reins and allowing these third-party apps to be the app of choice for certain things and not forcing you into their stock apps once again. Yep. And so that's everything for iOS 12. Again, it's not the most feature-rich. It's just kind of cleaning things up, improving upon the formula. And again, it's compatible with every device that runs iOS 11. It's going to be beta tested, and it will be available this fall. Yep. And so that means it's time for the Apple Watch. And so we have Watch OS 5. And they're kind of just a bunch of little things. It's not like, oh my God, this changes the watch. It's just little kind of enhancements, improvements here and there. And so, you know, it's more like a laundry list where you can now have a yoga and hiking workout setting specifically. Or workouts now start automatically. Previously, you had to manually open the workouts app and say, I'm starting a workout. Now we'll kind of recognize that you're doing a workout and auto start it to track it. And then kind of the big meaty one, it's really niche, but it's a meaty feature in walkie talkie. So you can use your watch now like those annoying Next mobile phones. phones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where you at? So that should be really fun. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be watch. annoying. <laughs> uh, I the walkie-talkie one I had to laugh every time they did it you know because this was probably the most interesting demo where they had a lady on her you know stationary bike trying to do all these new features of the watch and it was just kind of hilarious to watch punctuated by that new walkie-talkie feature where I don't want to get out my phone and text them I don't want to get out my phone and call them but I'm right here on my watch so I'll just be able to choose who you want to communicate with they get a one-time request, there's then a haptic, they hear a beep, and then your voice comes through. And so I guess you only have a few seconds of record time. Yeah, so that whole demo, like I felt it was believable only because she was like short of breath while she was on the bike. But then that whole conversation with her daughter seems so <laughs> recorded and pre-done. It didn't even seem like she was actually really talking in real time to that to her daughter, but I, I mean, I could see some families, they're the same families carry around those, the walkie talkies when you go to like Disney world and, and chat with each other. I can definitely see them using this and, uh, but it is going to be one of these things get super annoying. I think for other people to have to hear this stuff. Yeah. Speaking of annoying of other people having to hear, you now can sit, you don't have to say, Hey Siri, you can just lift, up your watch and then start speaking your request to Siri. And this matters because those Siri enhancements from iOS 12 are going to be available on the watch. So that includes the Siri watch face is going to be updated to have kind of those Siri app suggestions that we talked about that are in notification center. And just Siri shortcuts are also going to be supported on the watch. Yeah, I mean, I don't have, currently have an Apple Watch. I am looking to possibly get one in the next generation, but uh, it's nice that you don't have to say, hey, Siri, in front of everything. The thing that I was curious about, though, is how is it going to know that it's you asking for something and not someone, like, talking to you that's asking you about something and you just happen to, like happen to have your wrist raised at the time that they're talking to you? Is it going to kind of accidentally mix up thing questions they may be asking you to ask thinking it's supposed to be asking Siri for that I don't know and then Siri's gonna have to be listening more you know because you might raise your watch throughout the day just to check the time or check notifications and right then Siri has to activate to potentially be listening 
Right, and is that going to do anything to battery life yeah. with having that going on? I don't know, but they didn't mention anything about battery life or effects on battery life. I thought they would say, with all these new features, you're still going to have our amazing all-day battery life <laughs> that they always like to say about the watch, but they never even mentioned it. Yep. And then also there's going to be interactive notifications where, say you have a reservation at Yelp, you can add a person to it or extend the time of it all through these kind of context-sensitive notifications. It comes down to developers building in that support, but it's a neat feature that is kind of setting where the Apple Watch eventually wants to get to. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that when they were showing that demo that I didn't realize you couldn't even click on like a link if someone gave you a link in the message. Like you couldn't click on a web link and just have it show like a basic web page with that. I guess that's a new feature now too, where it'll use the reader version of the web page and it can show limited web content, but you're not going to be surfing the web on this, but it allow you to at least see certain information like a menu for the restaurant or some other piece of information that you might need in order to respond to the message that was sent to you. Right. It's not a web browser on your watch. It's just webkin integration. And then you can also now stream podcasts on your Apple Watch in addition to Apple Music support that came last year. Yeah, I don't use the their podcast app like we just talked about last week. But uh, it is nice that it actually will sync across like their progress. If you do go for like a run or something and want to listen to a podcast and then maybe you're back in your car and using your phone, it'll sync your progress as long as you're using the Apple Podcast app across both devices. And so that's kind of the main features of watchOS 5. The biggest takeaway for me actually came after the event. They didn't mention it once, but watchOS 5 is not compatible with the first generation Apple Watch. It's compatible with Series 1, Series 2, and Series 3. So I had to look up what the distinction is, and it turns out that the first generation is referred to as Apple Watch Series 0. So there's been four different versions of the Apple Watch. If you got the one when it first came out, it's not going to be compatible with watchOS 5. If you got any preceding generation, it will be compatible. So that stinks. If you're if one of these early adopters, then yeah, you're out of luck. Yep, forced obsolescence, which was kind of the takeaway for my device ecosystem. We'll get to that a little bit more, but <laughs> my Apple Watch no longer is going to be supported. It not It's not like it no longer works, but any of the new features are not going to be available. And so that's everything in watchOS 5, and that means it's time for tvOS, which Apple's billing as tvOS 12 because they're matching it up with the iOS ecosystem line and with tvOS 12 there really isn't that much as you might imagine because Apple has no clue what they're doing with TV and so with tvOS 12 all we have pretty much is the inclusion of Dolby Atmos and keep in mind that all of the updates that we discuss are specifically for the Apple TV 4k so if you have the third gen you're not getting Dolby Atmos this is only for the 4k but it gives you 3D immersive sound, and like the 4K update last year, any movies that you already own will be updated automatically to include Dolby Atmos. Yeah, so I don't really know who's really excited. Well, I know one person. My twin brother is excited because he actually has a Dolby Atmos set up in his house. But for the most part, the average viewer is not going to have the extra set of speakers that shoots it off and bounces it off the ceiling for Dolby Atmos sound. So I think this is a very limited audience that this is really pandering to, but I guess if you can put that on your box and say we support it, then then that's another selling point for you. Especially because this will be the first streaming box to support it, so that's always cool. And then yeah. speaking of limited introduction, Apple also partnered with Charter Spectrum, so that way you can access live channels and on-demand content right from your Apple TV without needing to use the Charter Spectrum box. And so that's cool because the Charter Spectrum box isn't the best, but it's a very specific limited niche, and I think it's trial run to get everybody on board with Apple. You know, like they were able to get the first one, and now it's a kind of test proof point for everybody else. Right, yeah, so unless you have Charter Spectrum, this really doesn't affect you whatsoever, or there were two other partners, uh, Canal Plus and Salt in France and Switzerland, but 
Otherwise, in the U.S., yes. in the U.S., it's Charter Spectrum, which I don't have. I have Comcast, Xfinity, uh, so it really doesn't affect me. And part of this whole thing is there's zero sign-on. So they had done that single sign-on before where you signed on once into the Apple TV app and then it signed you into all those uh single video streaming apps well this one would now you allow you to have zero sign on it would just recognize that you are on such and such a provider and sign you into all these which is nice in theory but if you say you bring your box somewhere or you travel with it and sign on someplace else you're not necessarily going to have all of the content that you have at home so if you plug this in on in a vacation home or something but you don't subscribe to cable there, but want to sign on with your cable that you pay for at home, if it doesn't allow you to still sign on yourself and does this auto sign on, then it might not give you the channels that you're expecting to have access to because your package in your vacation home may not necessarily have all those same channels you pay for at home. So it could be kind of an annoying thing not to be able to sign on and have it do this auto recognition instead. Don't travel with your box. I do have Charter Spectrum, so this actually does help. That zero sign, it identifies your broadband, and then it can connect with your TV. So I get something actually good from the Apple announcement. <laughs> and then to round it out, there's going to be all new panoramic screensavers that are shot from the International Space Station, and you can tap on the remote to get where the panorama was taken. So it might be you know Greenland or Dubai. You can actually finally know. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of nice. There has been times where I've wondered what it was that you were seeing, but I don't know. This this was such a lackluster announcement. I I was expecting that maybe they were going to finally introduce their own like TV service to go with it, like to finally have something like that competes with DirecTV Now or YouTube TV or something. Like this is just like uh, barely an announcement. They included just so they can include all of their OSs in this announcement. But otherwise, it's really not a lot of inf- not a lot of stuff that's even worthwhile. Yep, so that's TVOS and Apple bookended bookend the announcement with their two big platforms, iOS and then macOS. And so macOS 10.14, the biggest question mark is what would they call it? Going in, I thought they would go with Sequoia. They had the choice of Sequoia, Sonoma, Ventura or Mojave. And it turns out they went with macOS Mojave, which is the big Mojave desert. And they claimed the inclusion because the big new feature in macOS Mojave is an all new dark mode, which looks beautiful, which is the same as the desert at night. So they tied it all together. (laughs) Yeah. So I think this is another one of those things that's either helpful like you're someone that's pro the dark mode i tend to use light mode on everything i think there's only about one app i use dark mode on but i guess if you're really i know people have been wanting this for a long time the one example they did show on there is on a screen where you're writing code yes a dark screen is way easier to write code on than to have a blank white screen that's super bright and it's a pain to write code on on a white screen why you couldn't have just adjusted your code editor to use a darker screen, I don't understand. But I guess this is going to appeal to a certain percentage of the macOS users. And I'm guessing they're super happy about this. To me, it's kind of a, eh, I don't really care. It's Maybe I'll try it out. Maybe I'll love it. But for right now, it wasn't anything that really super excited me. But it's gorgeous. It's just the design aesthetic to hit the windows, the sidebar, the dock, the menu, the top bar, just even the individual files, and then all the native apps, and then the potential of the third-party apps. And then it's really cool to think of the third-party apps that aren't updated and how it'll be this weird contrast thing. Um, yes, that's going to be like a stark, like shining beacon. It's like before people updated their iOS apps to fill the screen and you saw the, the black bars on the top and bottom, they stuck out like a sore thumb. Yep. And so they continued the idea with a new dynamic desktop so that your screen adjusts as the day goes on. So in the morning, it's light. Afternoon, it darkens a little. And then by the time you reach night, it hits that night mode and it's done all automatically, which you can enable. 
yeah, I thought that was kind of nice. I, I kind of like that, how it will adjust during the day and you kind of get this slight change to things. And then at night you'll have that like darker, beautiful picture of the Mojave Desert. And so Apple updated the desktop and Finder quite a bit. So there's the dark mode, and then there's this new desktop stacks, which essentially works like the stacks feature in the dock, but now it automatically cleans everything up on your desktop. So if you have just a bunch of files scattered across your desktop, it puts them in to these little stacks that can be either sorted by file type, date created, or specific tags. You can adjust that, but it just cleans everything up. And I'm, I, as I'm watching this, I'm staring at my desktop, and there's files filling the whole thing just cluttered around. So that's a kind of a cool feature. Yeah, it's nice if you have a messy desktop. For If you don't, like normally on my PC, I had a messy desktop. On my MacBook, I got like five icons on my desktop. It's really not that messy. But it's definitely, it was a nice, elegant way of cleaning things up and be able to kind of sift through the stack and see that little preview of the items that are in there and not actually have to expand it all out or anything. I thought that was a, a nice way of handling it and keeping things kind of sorted and clean but also have a way you can quickly rifle through them to find the thing you want. And then Finder has been updated with a new gallery view where it's a big icon on the top and a bunch of thumbnails on the bottom. And if you've used a Mac for a while, you know this is actually CoverFlow, which was available when they were still cat names. They got rid of it, and now they're bringing it back, and they're calling it gallery view, which is always fun. Yeah, I didn't have a Mac back in the in the cat name days, so... I, I thought it looked kind of nice. Uh, I'll give it a try. And then it also includes this new instant info panel when you're browsing files, so it can bring up all kinds of metadata for your images, for example. And that builds into this new quick actions panel, which is a real emphasis with macOS Mojave. So with the quick action, there's preset ones for images. So you can rotate it right there or crop it right there without actually opening the file or opening photos or Photoshop or anything. Same thing for PDFs. You can mark them up right there, you know, add your signature. And then it's built into Quick Look. So now you can, you know, just press spacebar to preview a file and you don't actually have to open it to do those same markup actions or photo editing actions, trim audio, trim video. You know, you don't have to open QuickTime to do that. You can do it all from Quick Look. Yeah, I thought that was nice. It's It saves you from having to load all these apps and then remember to shut them down, especially if you have an older device where memory's at a premium trying to conserve the the RAM by closing out apps you're not using to just be able to do that preview quick thing, make the little change you need to, and not actually have to launch the app is, is a nice time saver too. And then they also showed the potential for that quick actions to have built-in automator tasks. So if you really are a power Mac user and create automator items, you can now have them right through this quick actions tab, which is really potentially powerful feature idea. Yeah, actually that sample they showed where you put the watermark on the photos, I actually have like an automator task to shrink photos to make them certain uh, size and to shrink the, the quality of them to put them on my website. So I thought that it was like a perfect little demo because this is exactly how I'd use it. So I, I thought that was a, a nice little fast way to, to kind of automate, like especially if you have a bunch of pictures you're going to upload somewhere, you want to just make the same change to all of them to shrink them to certain dimensions or to kind of reduce the file size of them first. Uh, it's a nice quick way to do it. And then they enhance screenshot taking with a now special panel for capturing screenshots on your Mac where you can capture the screenshot. It puts a little thumbnail in the bottom corner, kind of like it does on the iOS devices, and then you can edit it right from there. And then that special screenshot mode also includes screen capture option right from there. So right now for screen capture, you have to use QuickTime, and it's a little finicky, or you have to use third-party apps. So now they're making kind of a special mode for it. Yeah, that looks super simple to capture like a little screen capture video uh, just the way you would normally just do a, uh, a normal drag and capture for for a, sc a normal screenshot. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of slick. That, that was actually probably one of the features I was most interested in from this. Yeah, and then Mojave also has improved continuity. So if you're working on a document and you need to add a picture, essentially you can say take picture with phone 
and then your phone will light up and go right into the camera so you can capture a picture as soon as you do it goes right into the document and they also have that for scanning documents and I'm sure developers can build it out so you can have your phone launch right into specific apps that need to connect to your Mac. Yeah, and now as someone who uses uh, a Mac and a iPhone, it's that's a nice little added feature. I, I thought that was a, a nice little quick way to, to capture things. Yeah, that's, you know, we were talking about Mac OS going into the event, and it's like, it's really well established as a desktop operating system. It's a mature operating system. So all these updates are kind of just like little fine-tuning, little tweaks here and there, just little things that Apple employees probably notice while they're using the devices and just improve it from there. Right, yeah, and they and they tend to favor people with both iOS and Mac devices where they have those things that carry over between the different devices. So it's nice if you're in their ecosystem all in that you get all of these things working so nicely together. Yep, and so we talked about Apple News, stocks, and voice memos already. And so now Apple has not only brought them to the iPad, but they're also bringing them to the Mac. Same kind of idea. The more promising aspect is that Apple mentioned this is kind of a preview. It's like the roadmap that they're heading on, hopefully by 2019, where each one of these apps, Apple built them on their iOS infrastructure, and they're going to make, you know, it was previewed or it was rumored, Apple's actually going to do it where the iOS code can be used as the base to make Mac apps. So you could have one universal app across iOS and Mac. And these are the first kind of Apple test versions. Right. I love the way how they revealed this. So it was like this whole twist, like, hey, you know, these apps that are now running on the Mac. Guess what? They're actually the iOS versions. We just had to make a few minor code changes. And then now they run on the Mac as well. And so I thought that was a great way to show people like, hey, this does work. We have a way to get it working. We did it with a few of our stock apps, and we're going to roll this out to you developers in the future once we have it more established and built out. Hopefully this isn't one of those things that just kind of disappears and they never actually do it. But uh, this is definitely promising, especially if there are certain apps that you find really useful on your iOS devices, especially the iPad, and you want to be able to use on the Mac as well. If developers have an easy way to do that transition, then we might see a lot more of these apps kind of carry over. Yeah, and I think because it was like rumored and leaked, Apple wanted to just get right to it and actually mention it on during their keynote. Right, yeah, they wanted to make sure they totally shot down the thing that there was going to be a that you were now going to have iOS apps and Mac, like a universal app that was going to run on all devices. They wanted to knock that down and say, no, that's not what's happening, but we do have this sort of solution for that, and this is how we we chose to implement it. Yep. And then speaking of third-party apps, Apple's redesigned the Mac App Store, built on the iOS 11 App Store redesign, where there's going to be a new Today tab with editorial content, and then there are specific apps or specific tabs, you know, for create or work or play where they can highlight, you know, games or productivity apps, whatever the case may be. And so they have new app lists and just redesigned everything as well as include video pro previews and highlight ratings and reviews. Because if you do look at the Mac App Store currently, it's kind of dated. So this was definitely needed. Yeah, this is nice because I I can't I can't even tell you the last time I went into the Mac App Store except if I accidentally loaded it up by clicking on the App Store icon because I'm so used to <laughs> clicking on it on my iPhone device instead of uh, locking uh, clicking on the iTunes one instead to to grab an app. But it, it like I like I don't there's hardly anything I run on this Mac like I do very basic things on it. But if they have this new interface that's much cleaner they kind of focus on apps they teach it to like talk about like hey this is a great new app i'm more likely to visit it just to see kind of what's going on and what things are out there that maybe i have no idea that they're even there because the old infrastructure wasn't even inviting you didn't really even need to go in there you kind of had to know what you were going in there for in order to even go in there you there was no like real suggestions or anything like that and now finally this is going to be a much nicer modern interface and with useful information rather than just here's the app here's the price download it purchase it if you want yep 
And that's kind of the main emphasis of macOS Mojave. It's not going to revolutionize the Mac, but it just cleans everything up. One takeaway for me is that you need a 2012 or newer Mac to run this unless you have the Mac Pro from 2010. Otherwise, if your Mac was made before 2012, like mine's a 2011 MacBook Air, it's not going to support macOS Mojave. Yep. More of that forced obsolescence for... Uh... For earlier adopters, I know this is a. Uh, I know it's like all your devices have been shot yeah. down. I was surprised that my iPhone 10 supports <laughs> iOS 12 because every other Apple device I have is out of luck. My Apple TV, my watch, and my computer all don't support the latest versions. But yeah, that really stinks. I was actually surprised that the iPod Touch 6th Gen did does support iOS 12. So I can put it on my daughter's devices. But yeah, then that's that's really annoying for people that do want to keep up to date with the latest software. Uh, they're forcing a lot of upgrades here. Yep, and so that's pretty much our roundup of WWDC. So I wanted to ask you, what kind of was your highlights of the event and lowlights of the event? So I thought for, I'll start with highlights. So obviously the screen time thing with iOS 12, I thought was amazing. It's finally about time. Uh, I thought that the AR kit demo, while I'm still not fully sold that AR kit's going to be this big thing that they're pushing. I thought the Lego demo was really cool. And I really like the, uh, the notifications and, and various uh, way that they kind of cleaned up a lot of the stuff and and the the do not disturb those kind of things where it was more like cleaning things up, making them less obtru uh, like intrusive or whatever you would say intrusive to people and allowing them to really just kind of go into the device, do what they need to, and get out rather than having to spend a lot of time in there. As far as lowlights go. Uh, I thought some of the demos seemed way too rehearsed and kind of boring and they went on for too long. Like that whole avatar kind of building demo. Everyone's built an avatar at some point. You really didn't need that Memoji to go on that long of building that thing. Uh, and the TVOS, obviously I said before, was a huge disappointment. There really wasn't much there. Uh, but otherwise, um, I'm kind of excited about a lot of the other stuff we saw. How about you? Yeah, so I think my highlight was probably Siri shortcuts just because of the potential. It's going to take a while. You know, this isn't day one September. You're going to have these great Siri shortcuts. But as it goes, I'm hoping that third-party developers fully invest in Siri shortcuts just because you can activate them through voice, but also just to have that ability of either on your watch or from the notification center widget, you have the potential to use Siri shortcuts a whole bunch as long as they're enabled. Right, yeah, yeah. I was super excited about those as well, especially where it did show that they'll push those to you as something you can just tap on. You don't have to talk to Siri to trigger them. And then also I liked the whole combat phone addiction thing because we talked about that third-party app where it's neat, but Apple restricted it because it's a third-party app. It can't have the hooks into iOS. So now Apple's designed their own thing so it can connect to every single part of iOS to help you change your habits, help you change your kids' habits, whatever the case may be. Apple's finally letting you interact and do with your device exactly as you want. Right, and this is obviously a much cleaner uh, use use uh, way to use it. Like you're not having to go in and take screenshots and scroll through pages, take another screenshot, wait for it to process those screenshots. Yeah. <laughs> this all happens behind the scenes for you. So yeah, obviously it's much cleaner if it's baked right in. And then also I noticed that a lot of the presenters were women. Apple made an emphasis, you know, there was Tim, there was Craig Federici and then there was Kevin Cook on watch. But everybody else, I think, was a woman in a relatively powerful role at Apple that they decided to highlight and go over in these different demos. Yeah, I definitely applaud them. And I'm glad they didn't make like a big deal of it. This should be the normal, that we should see equal representation. And I, I, like, I was glad to see that. I noticed that as well. And so it, it's just good to see 
that they have a wide variety of people up there talking. It's not the same few talking heads that we see every single time. Uh, it just, I wish the demos were a little less cheesy and a little less long. Yep. I think my only low light really was what you said with TVOS just not really being there at all. And then, of course, my device is not supporting anything. <laughs> but other than that, it, it was like it was relatively long. There was parts that dragged, but it was still a good event. Well, yeah, and I'm glad they kicked off right with iOS. Like, I was afraid they were going to drag out and we were going to have to wait till the end for iOS. I, was, I, I liked how they structured it and kind of put the two on the end, iOS and macOS. They had all the people most that would be most interested in all of those mobile technologies and the TV technology and then leave the macOS for the end that maybe if you weren't into, into any of the Mac kind of uh, infrastructure, then you could just drop off and not watch that last piece and you'd be fine. Yep, and I think that's everything WWDC 2018. Brett, thanks for joining me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.